Amen. What a wonderful time around the table. And thank you, Paul, for leading us in such a, a meaningful way. And I just think about his mother, Rebecca, as a single mother and the impact she's had just from the children she's raised, especially our dear brother, Paul. And um, I know many times on a day like this, some of you single mothers probably feel a little bit left out. But today, I hope you saw just by Paul the power of a single mother. So thank you so much for that. Those of us that are married, we know one of the best things that we can do for our children is to, to have good marriages, to invest in our marriages. And so this coming weekend, we're having our first young married retreat. And however you might consider yourself, you would be invited to be a part of that. And so if you'd like to today, you can sign up for that and uh, just make that a special time to invest in your marriage. If for some reason the price scares you off, we've got generous scholarships available for anybody who'd like to go. So this morning, open your Bible to John chapter 2. And let me say as you get there, Jesus was not an easy child. Anybody have an easy child? Anybody have a tough child? Just go ahead and raise your hand. It's all right. We all, we all know children. Jesus was not easy. I mean, Simeon had told Mary in the temple, he, he will pierce your soul. We know from the beginning when, when Jesus came that Mary's reputation was tarnished. You know, at an early age, they have to flee to Egypt just to stay safe. Talking about turning your life upside down. At age 12, he leaves them at the temple. You think he might at least told them? I mean, you keep going through the story. When Jesus begins to teach and do mighty things, Mary and his siblings are worried. Maybe he's crazy. And finally, as Paul said, she's there at the foot of the cross. This was difficult. And so today, we get to focus on a, a moment that I call Mary's Mother's Day. It's a moment where Mary got exactly what she wanted. Now, let's say this before we dive into this moment. Uh, This moment is an embarrassing moment. If you know much about John chapter 2, if you don't, Jesus shows up at a wedding feast. And Mary's going to tell him the wine has run out. And and so this was an embarrassing moment. Guys, when they gave receptions for weddings in that day, it was much bigger and grander than us. When you got married, they would have a parade through the city, take you to your home. You wouldn't go on a honeymoon. You'd be a part of a, a party for six to eight days. And, and so it was a big deal. Now, this is an impoverished country. So this is one of the few highlights of their lives. So if you have a daughter, you start her first year saving a barrel of wine. So she gets married at 18, you got 18 barrels of wine. You're ready for this big reception. And the most embarrassing thing in ancient culture would be to run out of the wine. In fact, there were known lawsuits from the groom's family toward the bride's family if they ran out of wine. And so Mary is all uptight about this and comes to Jesus and said, they've run out of wine. I wonder as we read this story, was Mary a part of giving this reception? Some ancient traditions say that the woman getting married was Mary's niece. And so it it appears in this story that Mary has some authority. And so it's just this embarrassing scene, and Mary's trying to help, and she wants Jesus to help. Now, let's just be honest for a second. When we come to this passage today, John chapter 2, it's a little bit embarrassing to us. 
We've never quite known what to do with all this wine. I mean, it's a lot of wine. Now, despite the fact how some of us grew up where we were told it was grape juice, my friends, it was not even sparkling grape juice. It's extremely clay, all right? It was wine. Now, don't, I think we get so hooked up on that, we miss the passage. Please understand, in this culture, drunkenness was an awful thing. And, and to, to stay away from drunkenness, most of the time when they, they served wine, they mixed two parts of wine with three parts of water. So get, get that behind you. And look at this moment for what it's worth. Let's start walking through this moment with Mary and Jesus. John chapter 2, verse 1. On, a third, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Actually, you know, from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, you could see Cana, not far from home. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus' disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. We got an emergency on our hands. Look at Jesus' response. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not come. So, guys, not only is this a potentially embarrassing moment, this is an unexpected moment. I mean, Mary comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, Woman, why do you involve me? Literally, what does this have to do with me? And that sounds almost like Jesus is being rude by that word woman. Now, it's not like Abba. It's not like Mama. It's not that word. But it's a, a term of respect. At the cross, Jesus said to his mother, Woman, behold your son, about the apostle John. So he's not being disrespectful. But Jesus says, You are off my timing. My hour has not come. That, that phrase, my hour, shows up about six times in the book of John. Every time it refers to the crucifixion of Jesus. So Jesus is saying to Mary, Woman, you're off time. This is not the way I was going to start this thing. And Jesus tries to put, brush her off. So why does Jesus hesitate here? Because it's a costly moment, okay? Jesus knows when he performs his first miracle... He will never be able to have much alone time again. Never much family time. Never much sleep. Jesus knows if he does this, it can start the clock ticking toward his crucifixion. That this will draw attention to who he is and people are not going to like it. So what happens here? Mary does what any self-respecting mother would do. She ignores Jesus and begins to put the ball in motion, okay? So go to, go to verse 5, and watch what happens here. Mary doesn't even respond to Jesus. His mother said to the service, do whatever he tells you. Now, Lord Jesus, you're going to do something about this. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. There's nothing about these jars that has to do with wine. These are these ceremonial that hold water. So when, when you come to a house, you will wash everyone's feet. In between different courses of the meal, you would wash each other's hands to be ceremonially clean. They hold from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus says, 
pour some water them. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars of water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Okay, so they poured some water in these big jars. Nobody's expecting what's going to happen. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants had, who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. Wow, it's an extravagant moment. It's a moment where Jesus not only produces the highest quantity of wine, the highest quality of wine. It's the best. It's 120 to 180 gallons. No way they're going to drink all of this. They're so shocked. Can you imagine the wedding host when he drinks from this cup expecting water, and it's this incredible wine? Jesus is extravagant. He doesn't do anything halfway. And then look at the last verse, verse 11. When Jesus did this here in Cain of Galilee, this was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is a glorious moment. This is the first time in Jesus' ministry where the curtains are torn back and the glory of heaven falls on Jesus. It's an amazing moment. And even his disciples are filled with belief because the purpose of Jesus' miracles was always to lead someone to the belief of who he was. Understand, he's 100% man. He's 100% God. On most days, he's just like you and I. But every once in a while, the glory comes down, and we know he's not just like us. It's a glorious moment. So this morning, I want you to think about this for a second. Because this is written by the Apostle John. And the Apostle John had 70 years to meditate on this story before he wrote this. I mean, he is really old. He was really young back then. 70 years. And John, you know, none of the other Gospels mention this story. John just got to, to let it out is the last Gospel written. And I believe it had more and more significance. I think that John thought it was a lot bigger than just turning some water into wine. In fact, if you look closely, you could probably you could get some depth from the ceremonial washing. And you certainly can get some depth from the first verse and the last verse. The first verse, this happened on the third day. The last verse, it was a day of glory. It's a reflection of what's going to happen at the resurrection of Jesus. It's on the third day that he has glory. But here's what I want to focus on this morning. This is a moment for us. This was a moment for Mary. It, it wasn't just about Jesus saving the day. It had a message for us. So let me give you five things rather quickly that I think you can take home from this story. First of all, Jesus was submissive to his parents. Oh, you think, we see this here with his mother at Cana. We see it with his father at Gethsemane. Because this is what Scripture reveals to us. Most of us struggle being obedient, right? So did Jesus. I mean, here's what Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. 
Suffering was the crucible that trained Jesus to be the perfect Savior for us. Someone who struggled with temptation, someone who struggled in life, someone who even struggled to obey. He was made perfect, not just to save us, but perfect to understand us and serve us. But understand here, he's perfect, and he obeyed. And this morning, if you're willing to honor your mom, let me tell you, the best thing you could do is to obey her. Unless she's asking you to do something that God wouldn't want you to do, obey her. You say, oh my, you know, I'm out of the house, I'm grown. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus was 30 years old, and he's still obeying his mother. Second, this is so crazy significant. Jesus changed his plan. This is not the miracle he intended to start out with. I mean, who would have chosen this controversial miracle to start out with? But Jesus, at the request of his mom, actually changes his plans. I I think that's very theologically significant. There's a theology out there that says God is sovereign. And that the sovereignty of God means that God has already planned every detail of your life. I mean, it's, it's all planned out. You don't really have a choice whether you're saved or not. You don't really have a choice whether you go to heaven or hell. God's already planned all the details. And it's a, it's a misunderstanding, in my estimation, of the sovereignty of God. Is God sovereign? Absolutely, yes. Will every knee bow to God one day? Of course. But that doesn't mean everything in your life is planned out any more than... Listen to me. Even Jesus' life had a change of plans. Now, what does this say to us practically? It says there's a power in prayer. Sometimes you wonder, why do I need to pray? I mean, is anything really going to change? I mean, God's already decided everything according to some people. Oh, no. No, no, no. Your prayers are powerful, just like Mary's request was powerful. And then look at the the third point with me uh, for a moment. Is that Jesus was a joy to be around. I love this point. Anybody remember that that great movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Anybody watch that movie? That was so much fun. And you love that Greek family that was full of life and throwing a party. And everything was wild and crazy with lots of people. And then you had the groom's parents. (laughs) These Anglo-Saxon, uptight, white people. And you can just see them through the whole thing. They just sit there trying to protect themselves. Here's here's what I think, guys. Sometimes we picture Jesus like that couple. That Jesus is just uptight about everything in life. And listen to me. Your view of Jesus will determine your view of the Christian life. If you think that Jesus is a killjoy, that Jesus is uptight, that Jesus was no fun then you're going to think Christianity is the same way and you're going to get mad when other people have a big time. You ever seen Christians like that? Guys, Jesus was invited to this party. Jesus may be the one who messed the party up by inviting too many disciples. That may be why they ran out of wine. And guys, if you look through the Gospels, it's not the uptight religious people that Jesus does the best with. Jesus shows up in places. In fact, they criticized him because he was with people and having a big time. And even Jesus says, you know, John the Baptist was more like a dirge. My life is more like a dance. Man, we're getting in trouble today, right? I mean, it's more like a dance. 
And so guys, I want you to understand here that Jesus was enjoyable to be around. And his disciples, we must be the same way. To me, Christians, we appear to be boring and dull and stale. We act like we've been baptized in vinegar and taking prune juice for communion. You ever seen that? Guys, this is, this is the story. The story is Jesus was enjoyable, vivid, exciting, and dare I say, fun. You need that picture of Jesus. You need that picture of what he wants for you. And that brings me to number four that really helps me out. Jesus cares about small things. He cares about little things. He is willing to change heaven's plans to save from embarrassment a poor family in Galilee. And, and probably, he doesn't want the bride and groom to get off on the wrong foot. And so Jesus is willing to change his plan to take care of something that we think would be so very small. We think, okay, I understand Jesus cares about my salvation. He, under, under, he cares about justification. He cares about sanctification. But does he care about a party going bad because it ran out of wine? He cares. Listen to me. Apostle Paul says this. He says, God has given you all things to enjoy. He wants you to enjoy life. And this is what I love about Jesus. He actually cares about the small details. Sometimes... We think, I mean, should I pray about this? I mean, does he really care? I mean, I mean, I know he cares about whether I'm going to heaven or not, and I know he cares, but should, can I pray about what's going on here? Yes. It's almost like the difference to me in um, mothers and fathers and getting their kids dressed, okay? You ever been here on a Sunday where a mother's out of town and the father dresses the kids? You ever been in the lobby when they walk in? And, and, and there's no bow in the hair? The hair's not even been brushed? You know what I mean? The clothes are on a little bit wompy-jawed. I mean, you see that all the time with dads because as men, we normally don't get into the details. You know, we just want to get them here, all right? Women mothers are so wonderful about caring about every detail. There's lots of stories when Stephanie will tell, I think, I couldn't have been there. I don't remember those details. That's awesome. Jesus here, here's the good news about Jesus. He cares about the details of your life. Not just the big, life-changing things. He cares about the small details. And so when you come to pray to him, it's okay to talk about the small things. Oh, he is sovereign, yes. And he might decide to tell you no. But he wants to hear from you. In fact, in just a few moments, we're going to bring the ministers and elders and spouses around this stage. And and we're going to pray about some small things in your life. In fact, you you see what we call a response card right there in front of you. And and on that card, what we'd like you to do, and you can go ahead and start now if you'd like to, but just put your name and maybe a small detail in your life you need some prayers about. We believe in the power of prayer in this church. And so in a moment, you'll have that opportunity. So let's get the last point first. Jesus desires to lavishly bless you. There's nothing you need that he is incapable or he's exhausted from. You could never exhaust his love for you. John says in 1 John, he lavishes that love on you. You could never, no matter how many times you've messed up, 
exhaust his grace. The Apostle Paul says he just puts more and more and more grace on you. If you're in need of forgiveness, you think, man, could he forgive me for this? Could he forgive me for this again? Yes. It's inexhaustible. Jesus doesn't do anything halfway. So maybe today the wine has run out in your life. Maybe that represents joy. And you're just joyless. Or maybe it's in your marriage. The sparkle is gone. Or maybe it's in your friendships. Or maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's even enjoying your career. But somehow the wine has run out. And here's what this story says to us. God wants to bless you beyond your imagination. It's not think, well, you know, God didn't care. I mean, God's so busy over here caring about really big things. He doesn't care about these little things over here. I don't want to interrupt him dealing with the big things. Listen to me. You can't interrupt him. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's not going to run out. You're not going to interrupt him by saying, you know what, this really hurt my feelings the other day. Or I'm about to walk in this place. I need you to help me with this. Or I don't have the words to say. He wants to lavish it on you. So this morning, I want to challenge you. Today, let us pray for you. If you're watching online, there should be a number on your screen. I'll give it to you again in a little bit. Where you can text us your prayer request. If you're here today and you think, you know, this is, this is not something I want to say to the whole church but I sure would love some prayers before I get out of here. Just start filling this card out and just bring it to one of our leaders. Let me go ahead and ask all of our shepherds and their spouses, all of our ministers and spouses to please come and surround the stage. Even if you're not able to be with your spouse right now, just, just please come surround the stage. Stephanie, if you'd come on up here too. And, and you're going to have a great opportunity this morning. Just Again, all you got to do is write your name, write your simple request, Hand it to them, and they're going to pray for you right on the spot. We're just going to remain seated during the first song, so if some of you are still writing, let me say, as soon as you've written it, go ahead and come. We've got a beautiful outpouring first service. Just come and say, I just need this prayer. It's something that sounds so insignificant, but here's the point I'm trying to make in this message. Don't miss this point. If it matters to you, it matters to Jesus. Okay? And embrace that in this moment. The first line of the song we're about to sing reflects this incredible story. Water, you turned into wine. Next line is, you opened the eyes of the blind. And then the proclamation that we're going to make in just a minute. There is no God like you. We celebrate a God who cares about everything in our life and wants not the least, not the mediocre. He wants the best for you. If you believe that and you need some prayers today, just come. Let's be seated in this first song. Just come bring that card and we'll pray for you right now.